0: In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, And if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. I believe the children
1: are our future. Thank you. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Yes, listening friends, let the children lead the way. And while we wait for them to get there, we shall keep you all entertained. If you're here, you know who we are, you know what we do. Welcome back to a new episode. We're glad you're here. Thanks for entertaining us again, because I don't think we you know what else to do if you
0: didn't. Yes. <laughs> we would be very sad. We would be
1: sad. We would be sad. So um, what did you think of the opening, Jack?
0: <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> you know?
1: I figured because... Here in the States, we have all our students going back to school, so it was only
0: appropriate. Yeah. The children yeah. are the
1: future. Sometimes I'm afraid for the future, but they are still the future.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just jokes. I hope that, jokes. <laughs> I, ho- I hope that our children have quite the intestinal fortitude because they're gonna inherit a pretty uh effed up world unless some serious changes can happen, and they're going to have to make them if it doesn't. But
1: yeah. I mean, we're trying, but, you know, those older gentlemen that still run the country like to stand up there in front of people in public and vapor lock one too right. many times. So. And,
0: and glitch. Okay. So or, or be senators and have your daughter take over of power of attorney to make your financial decisions for you because you're incapable, and yet you still get to go on the Senate floor and vote.
1: Be that as it may, <laughs> not wishing any harm on anybody, we're just stating facts. You all have seen it, so
0: yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I, I would, I would give you the first glitch. Okay, maybe something's happened, but he's had a, you know, the second glitch. So that's a little concerning to me.
1: Very concerning, very, and yet, still, Republicans are just fine keeping him where he's at, but. Turn around and make a stink about Biden. I know. <laughs> and then their their savior and uh, a badly died Toupee is only four years younger.
0: Yeah, I know. It's like you realize that they're really, really close in age.
1: Really close, because once you get past a certain point, there's not much difference. Yeah. And I don't mean no harm. So I guess
0: I guess the big difference though is one of them is six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pounds of raw muscle and the other one is telling the truth and that's joe biden
1: <laughs> god bless joey b we love you man
0: <laughs> i was i was talking with my uh brother-in-law over the weekend and we were sort of laughing about that and we decided that it would be hilarious if every player in the nfl that's like shall we say not conservative for their official weight and height had 6'3", 215 pounds. So every time the announcers had, you know, that popped up on screen because, you know, they always put their height and weight. <laughs> that would just be glorious.
1: All politicians. <laughs> yeah.
0: This should do and anything. there he is, wide receiver Derek Shepard, 6'3", 215 pounds for another 20-yard for catch for a first down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All day long. Hilarious.
1: I would like, you know what, now that you say that, I would like to see them spruce up the Republican debates. I would watch it if they introduce the potential candidates like below them on the screen. They would have a little little splash card that said enjoys hikes in the woods and writing up legislature to uh, increase the gap between the wealthy and the working poor. You know, something like that.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. You know. (laughs)
1: Interests, likes and dislikes, things of
0: that nature. You know, enjoy be more interesting. It, enjoys bringing green bean casserole to the Kluplex clan meeting every week.
1: Joy's putting raisins and potato salad.
0: Yeah, no, that's not cool. Shit like that.
1: That has got cool. there's
0: gotta be a line, Keneta. And raisins and potato salad is it.
1: Hey, I didn't do it. I didn't create that. <laughs> well, I know you didn't. <laughs>
0: I'm just saying there are there are lines that shouldn't be crossed.
1: I'm just saying it's there. Someone did it. And they continue to try to do it. And I won't say who, because this is a family program.
0: Yes. 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 Yes.
1: Having said that. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Moving on.
1: (laughs) Go ahead and get into them WTFs. I have a sort of, well, I have a two-parter of two completely unrelated things, but they're both. One's kind of weird, one is fairly interesting to our particular generation. So, the first one here's the headline straight from NPR Coast Guard arrests a man trying to run a giant hamster wheel across the Atlantic.
0: That do you want to know more? Uh, yes, <laughs> I mean, yes,
1: a fellow by the name of Riza Bellucci can't reach his destination without running afoul of the U.S. Coast Guard. He lives in Florida after being a, a granted asylum from Iran and was taken in by the Coast Guard uh, at the end of August aboard his vessel, following several days of back and forth with the authorities. According to a criminal complaint in U.S. District Court in South Florida, the Coast Guard Cutter Valiant came across Belliducci, Bellucci, excuse me, and his homemade vessel about 70 nautical miles east of Tybee Island, Georgia, on August 26th, as the Coast Guard was preparing for Hurricane Franklin. (sighs) This is funny. Bellucci told officers his destination, London, England, more than 4,000 miles away. (sighs) What he had or how he was trying to get there literally looks like a giant hamster wheel made out of bullies.
0: That's... I mean, I, I feel like maybe, maybe talking to a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist might be in line, because it sounds like there might be something going on there.
1: Could be. He calls his vessel a hydropod, and the Coast Guard said he was, quote, conducting a manifestly uh-huh. unsafe voyage. The officers then approached him in a small boat and asked him to join them. He said, no, no, I have a knife and I will kill myself if you try to come get me. So they returned to the boat and waited. And the next day they tried again. He said, I've got two knives. And he showed them and he threatened to kill himself again. They left him alone. The third day they gave him food and water and said, hey, the hurricane's coming. Do you want to get in the boat? He was like, no, no, uh-oh, but I have a bomb. They were like, whoa, never mind. The bomb's not real. Okay. Finally, after three failed attempts, they send another boat out to him and they were safely able to remove him from his floating hamster wheel. He was brought ashore in Miami Beach. Uh, let's see, that would have been, uh, oh, last Friday, the 1st, um, where he was released on a $250,000 bond. While his case is underway, he's barred excuse me, from travel outside the Southern District of Florida and, quote, may not go to the ocean or board a vessel on the ocean. A special condition added to his bond agreement. This is the funny part. This is not his first encounter with the Coast Guard. He has attempted voyages similar in a similar homemade vessel in 2014, 2016, and 2021, all of which resulted in U.S. Coast Guard intervention.
0: Uh, Hey, Jeff Bezos, can you just buy this man a boat? and then give him some lessons on how to operate it so he can just make this journey safely?
1: It literally looks like a giant hamster wheel. It's not a joke. This is not. I don't even know if you can see it. This is an exaggeration Can you see it? I don't think so.
0: No. Oh, hang on, hang on. You almost had it at the right angle. Uh, oh my god, yeah. <laughs>
1: apparently, wow. apparently, yeah, wow. he was the subject of a Vice documentary. you heard of Vice? I have. Yeah, he was the subject of a Vice documentary about his failed attempts previously. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's what that was. That was actually a still clip from said documentary uh, from Vice, which uh, listening friends you can catch on YouTube. So you can see the man in the giant hamster wheel try to cross the Atlantic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: so there's that. I thought that was uh, interesting. All the things that you think you've heard of, and then you find out you haven't.
0: Yeah. You know, in this world, there's always something new and exciting and slightly crazy and unhinged that you get to learn every day.
1: Why not? Out of everything else, you have to laugh to keep from crying. So.
0: Yeah. You know, and in the grand scheme of things, I guess there are worse things than wanting to Go across the Atlantic Ocean? I mean, you're probably not going to make it in that contraption, Mm -hmm. (laughs) would be my guess.
1: But uh, I give him an A for effort because he keeps trying.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Somebody give this man a boat, teach him how to use it, and just let him make this journey that he clearly is being spurred on to do.
1: He doesn't want the boat, though. He wants to make it in his giant hamster wheel. He wants to be self-propelled. I guess, that's, I guess that's his whole thing. He wants to be self-prepared 4,000 miles. I, I, that's all I can do is give him an A for effort. Anything else, I would be lying.
0: Well, they could maybe, I don't know, put some rows on the side or, you know, oars and then he could row and then I don't know.
1: I mean, the fact that he took time to build that at all, it's thrilling. It's thrilling. Yeah. So, okay. That's part one. Part two, completely unrelated. First, I shall play yet another clip of something unexpected. Here we go. You didn't recognize that. I know Jack did,
0: but listen. I certainly did. And it's going to be stuck in my head for the next three weeks now. Thank you very much.
1: Excellent. My job here is done. However, <laughs> for those who did not recognize that, that was Michael Jackson's huge hit, PYT, Pretty Young Thing, from his Thriller album, which came out in 1980. Oh, oh 1982. Excuse me. Guess who says she was one of the backup vocalists, specifically in that part of the song?
0: Oh no, I I know who it is, but I'm gonna I saw that thing on uh on TikTok too. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm gonna let you because uh, it's your WTF. I'm gonna let you go ahead and spill the beans because it's kind of cool.
1: <laughs> it is cool. I just I literally just found out it like two days ago. It's actress Mindy Cone. Who starred as Natalie on the 1986 sitcom, The Facts of Life. Shocker. Yeah. And apparently her and Michael's little sister, Janet, y'all may know her, uh, just wandered into the studio and Quincy Jones, who produced that album, put them on the track as backup singers doing that little high-pitched chant at the very end of the song.
0: Well, it makes perfect sense because Janet was frequently a guest star on uh. Uh, The Facts of Life. And she Mm -hmm. also guest starred on um, Different Strokes Uh, as well.
1: Good times, too.
0: Because Facts of Life was a spinoff of Different Strokes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so she was on both. So it would make sense that she would be friends with Miss Jackson. I have to call her that because I'm nasty. No, I'm kidding.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. No. no.
0: (laughs) I'm just being silly. Janet I Jackson. <laughs> I can't undo it. I can't. <laughs> um, so, that, I mean, that would make sense that they would be friends, especially since that's at the time when she was guest starring on the show. So, it, it, I just never knew that she could sing. Doesn't surprise me because generally, creative types that do acting and whatnot generally also are pretty decent singers. So,
1: truly. So, I found that a most entertaining uh, piece of uh, pop culture. So,
0: yeah, and the amazing we thing is we're only just now finding out about this. Like, right, like you know, forty years later.
1: Like, <laughs> in the, well, actually, the article I'm looking at was 2020, but still, that's years, you know, after the fact. And she just pops up in the interview. He's like, "Oh yeah, I did the background vocals. That's me there and Janet." Oh wow, what the hell?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if they're still friends.
1: Maybe, maybe. But I found that very, very cool. So there we go. Yeah. And listening friends i for one i hope y'all agree with me out there i need the facts of life to some, come up on somebody's streaming services soon. yes because this is nonsense <sighs> it's nonsense so yeah there's there's my official position on that
0: you gotta take the good and take the bad take them both there you have
1: facts of life the facts of life Okay, what's your WTF?
0: (laughs) And now we got a second song stuck in everybody's head. Yay! Yay us! (laughs) (laughs) I almost feel bad now for my WTF, because while yours are somewhat lighthearted, and I'm not saying they're not serious, but they're more of a lighthearted thing, um, mine is completely uh, about a bunch of... uh, Well, it's kind of horrible, but it ties in with the current... uh, way the republican party is going and they want to you know get rid of entitlements or welfare but that's only for poor people billionaires can still get their welfare and millionaires um, that's perfectly fine um, but it's kind of how the evangelical uh pastoral coalition is now joining in on this and they're starting to preach this from the pulpit that a federal wel- welfare system i.e you know food stamps Medicaid, Medicare, lunch programs for kids is not biblical. And right, because let me find it. Mm. This is what they're preaching it off of. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, It doesn't give the exact verse, but if you can find the second chapter of second Thessalonians, you can find this. We Mm. commanded you that if any man is just lazy and refuses to work, then don't let him eat. Blair said, you know, there is a proper place for charity, but if somebody is just a slug, as Benjamin Franklin said, hunger is a great motivator. Here's God's design, Blair continued. It wasn't for a federal welfare system. The family is supposed to care for the family. Parents raise their children and provide for them as they're young, and then as parents get older, their kids are to honor their parents, which means to provide for their needs as they get old. Throughout scripture, slothfulness and laziness is condemned as a sin. As I said a moment ago, the Apostle Paul agreed to Ben Franklin, or Ben Franklin agreed with Paul, if a man doesn't work, don't feed him. And this is a growing uh, thing that is currently getting preached from the pulpit in, you know, ultra-conservative evangelical churches. And I just find it funny that you know, Republicans. Of course, everything they say is really just projection of what they're doing. Um, you know, they like to talk about a deep state, but I would say that your political leaders and the conservative movement preachers, you know, in the evangelical church, working together and put out the same message is kind of deep statey. Uh,
1: uh, mm, mm, I'm at a loss. I just, mm, mm. yeah. I, I I have nothing. I don't mm, mm, mm. listening friends. This is the first. Write it down, or maybe like a third or fifth or something. I have I have no words. I just I'm so sick.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm just <laughs> gonna go ahead and say it. This is really just kind of a continuation of the theme that Ronald Reagan ran on in 1980 of the welfare queen.
1: Uh Um. Listening friends, maybe a future episode.
0: <laughs> and I I am going to. I'm just going to go ahead and and say it. It's probably, this whole movement is probably also based in racism. And by probably, I'm going to say it's based in racism. (laughs) Shocking, isn't it?
1: (laughs) I have said, I may have said it here before, but I have said in private and out in public, the two pillars on which the country are built, race and class ever forget it yep ever that's exactly how the concept with race was created for those in the upper class to insulate themselves from freed and enslaved blacks and the indigenous so they Mm -hmm. went ahead and told all the poor whites hey you're just like us yep them a few scraps and now we have black and white
0: yeah and and it's just gone insane. How else can a bunch of people believe that a man that shits on a gold toilet is one of them? When he's not shitting into depends? Let me re- Let me.
1: doesn't matter.
0: But that, you know, and you see people and they'll sit there and just argue defending policies that hurt them. Makes billionaires more billions. Don't mind when their companies get, you know, government subsidies. But, you know, the kid that doesn't, whose parents, because they work wherever they work and they don't make a lot of money and they can't, the kids can't afford lunch. Let's just let that kid go hungry at lunch. Mm. But, you know, there's that. So to me, that's particularly evil. And then, of course, the other part is, as we were pointing out, that it's based on race and because that's just the whole welfare continuation of the welfare queen crap. But it's really, It's really just pissing me off that, you know, you have somebody like Elon Musk that can spend forty four billion dollars and then tank something and it doesn't even really affect his net, you know, worth. But and people support and defend that, but god damn it, if we wanna have some kid be able to go to the doctor when he has the flu and help pay for that, that my God, that would be awful.
1: Wouldn't that how dare they Yeah, food insecurity.
0: Oh, sorry. You're just going to. You know what? Being obese is a sin. So we're just helping you not be sinful by being fat by eating.
1: (sighs) Oh, boy. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, I just feel like it's kind of a coordinated effort because uh, this actually will kind of tie into what we're going to talk about perhaps next week, maybe a couple of weeks in the future. But it ties in, and it—you can't help but think that it's not a coordinated effort if they're starting to preach it from the pulpit.
1: Oh yeah, no, it definitely is. It's just more dogless. Oh
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Man,
1: that's. Uh... Boy, oh
0: boy, oh boy. Yeah.
1: I, I, um, mm. Alrighty then. That was that was cheerful. Two thousand zero zero party over. Oops, out of time
0: yeah yeah maybe I should have went first, so then your better light you know fun things could have cheered us up before we got all pissed off about what I talked about.
1: <laughs> no, 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 it's a delicate it's a delicate balance it's, it's fine it's fine
0: that's true it's that's fine. true, oh
1: boy, and there it is, listening friends, there
0: it is, yep, yep, and with that, we're going to move on. <laughs> we're gonna. We're going to get some, some education, some learning in.
1: Because the children
0: are the future.
1: As so aptly put by Mr. Randy Watson at the very beginning of this episode. And yes, because it is uh, September in here in the States, is when our students go back to school. And in light of that auspicious time of the year, we're going to talk a little about. Education here in this country, specifically about HBCUs, or otherwise known as, as historically Black colleges and universities. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> so early HBCUs were established to train teachers, preachers, and other community members. And of course, through the years, the focus on the studies shifted, but that's what they started out as. And the first HBCUs were founded in Pennsylvania and Ohio before the Civil War, which, remember, ran from 1861 to 1865, with the purpose of providing Black youths who were largely prevented, due to racial discrimination, (gasps) from attending established colleges and universities. And it gave them basic education and training to become, as mentioned, teachers, preachers, tradesmen, things of that nature. The very first school was called, initially called the Institute for Colored Youth, briefly called the African Institute at its founding. And this place opened on a farm outside of Philadelphia in 1837. It is today Shaney University of Pennsylvania which is part of the Hmm. Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education and the first HBCU. The Ashman Institute, also located near Philadelphia, provided theological training as well as basic education from its founding in 1854. And it later became Lincoln University in 1866 in honor of U.S. President Abraham Lincoln and was private until 1972, at which time it became a public university. Oldest private HBCU in the United States was founded in 1856 when the Methodist Episcopal Church opened Wilberforce University in Tawawa Springs, which is now called Wilberforce in Ohio, as an educa- a co-educational institution for enslaved blacks who had escaped slavery in the South through the Underground Railroad. It closed in 1862, but reincorporated in 1863 under the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which, if you don't know, is a historically African American Methodist denomination. And mm-hmm. listening, friends, if you've been with us from the get go, you know that we did do an episode early last year in 2022 about William Wilberforce.
0: Yes, <laughs> so, we did.
1: And I have a little tidbit to come back on on that in a little bit. So. Those were a handful of schools that were open before the Civil War. And, of course, the Civil War comes up, things happen, da-da-da-da-da. Afterwards, there was an act called, in 1865, an act was passed in Congress called, quote, an act to establish a Bureau for the Relief of Freedmen and Refugees to provide food, shelter, clothing, medical services, and land to displaced Southerners. Including newly freed African Americans, which is roughly about 4 million. And again, this is right after the, right right the end, of, around the end of the Civil War. And the um, the Freedmen's Bureau, which came to be under this act, was to operate during the present War of Rebellion and for one year after, again, right at the end and after the end of the Civil War, and also established schools, supervised contracts between freedmen and employers, and managed confiscated or abandoned lands even though that act was in place it didn't allow for uh newly free blacks to attend school with whites so something I'm, else i'm have,
0: stunned aren't
1: you <laughs> so in 1890 the second moral, moral act, And I should actually actually note that the first one wasn't 1865, but the second one came in 1890. And that required states, especially those former Confederate states, to provide land grants for institution for black students if admission was not allowed elsewhere. The first Morrell, Morrell Act, I think I'm saying it right, was in 1865 and it allowed land grants for universities, but only to whites. So the second one in 1890 said, "Okay, now we have to afford it to blacks because blacks aren't allowed to go to school with whites. Mm -hmm. Again, we're surprised. So those first colleges after the Civil War were established because of the Second Memorial Act and through the works of the American Missionary Association and the Freedmen's Bureau. The the Freedmen's Bureau, as I mentioned, was there to operate Uh, in the established schools and things of that nature. The American Missionary Association or the AMA is a Protestant-based abolitionist group founded on September 3rd, 1846 in Albany, New York. Its members and leaders were of both races and the association was chiefly sponsored by the Congregationalists Churches in New England. The main goals were to abolish slavery, provide education to African-Americans, and promote racial equality for freed Blacks. The AMA played a significant role in several key historical events and movements, including the Civil War, Reconstruction and the Civil Rights Movement. So those two entities, the Freedmen's Bureau and the AMA were mostly um, responsible or held most of the responsibility for establishing the schools that would be opened up underneath the act of 1890. So, Benjamin Harrison, twenty-third president of the United States, signed it in law on August thirtieth, eighteen ninety. And um, I should mention it was named after Senator Justin Morial of Vermont. Hardy, hard, hard. So, again, what the act required states to do was establish separate land grant institutions for black students. And the act granted money instead of land, and resulted in the designation of a set of historically black colleges and universities as land-grant universities to begin receiving federal funds to support teaching, research, and extensions intended to serve underserved communities. And there were 19 affiliated universities in the 1890 system, or specifically they're called 1890 land-grant universities. There's Alabama A&M, which is in Huntsville, Alabama, Mm -hmm. Alcorn State, Mississippi, which is the first first Black land-grant college.
0: I believe that's where Randy Moss played football.
1: I believe you're right. Um, Central State University, also in Wilberforce. Now, we mentioned Wilberforce University a couple of minutes ago. Central State University was originally a part of Wilberforce and split off on its own because it had its own area of studies. It became its own separate institution in 1947. Changed to Central State College in 1951 and then the university in 1965. Here's the fun part. The place where I went to college at, or I'm alumni at, back in Oklahoma, was originally called Central State University. Yes. <laughs> My school had to change their name to the University of Central Oklahoma because Central State University already existed in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> That's facts. So, <laughs> Uh, the other schools under the 1890 land-grant university list so Delaware State University, Flor- Florida A&M University, Valley- Fort Valley State University, Kentucky State University, Langston University, which is Oklahoma's one and only, HBCU.
0: Yeah. And we've also talked about it in the past when we talked about uh, uh, Miss Fisher.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, North Carolina, A&T State University, Prairie View, A&M. And I should say that A&T is Agricultural and Technology, and A&M is Agricultural and Mechanical. Mechanical, thank you. Um, South Carolina State University, Southern University in Louisiana, Tennessee State University, Tuskegee University. Um, and you've probably heard of Tuskegee before. Um, University of Arkansas, Pine Bluff, University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, Virginia State University and West Virginia State University. So those are the ones that were opened up as a result of the 1890 land grants. But, of course, those were not by any means the only ones that were opened up. So Uh um, additional schools that opened up that weren't a part of that act, but did open up after the Civil War, include Atlanta University, which opened in 1865 and is now called Clark Atlanta University, Howard University, which is in Washington, D.C., Morehouse College, opened in 1867 and was originally called the Augusta Institute. That particular school provided liberal arts education and trained students for careers as teachers or ministers and missionaries, And its sister school, which is also in Atlanta, is called Spelman College, and that was established in 1924. Morehouse is all male; Spelman was all female. Uh And Spelman was originally founded in 1881 as Atlanta Baptist Female Seminary. Go
0: figure. Uh Hmm. Interesting.
1: Indeed. So, in a nutshell, HBCUs were created to educate black folks even before the civil war the civil war and the emancipation proclamation and the thirteenth amendment on paper knocked all that nonsense out but even before the end of uh there were institutions open to be able to educate blacks because even though you had a great deal of enslaved blacks especially in the south there were free blacks that lived up in the north and these schools were established for them after the Civil War, of course, partly due to because partly due to this act in eighteen ninety but for years afterward, additional schools continued to be open because again, even though on paper blacks were no longer enslaved here for some reason they could not be accorded equal opportunity to education Brains. It yeah, is. Kind
0: of, yeah, this actually um sort of ties into, obviously, you know, late 50s, 60s with the civil rights movement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'm t- education wise. One of the reasons that universities like Bob Jones University, Liberty University exist is because the federal government, of course, was in enforcing, segre- not segregation, <laughs> not seg- the opposite of segregation. <laughs> Integration. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that word and a lot of these southern sort of creatures did not like that and so they went and started their universities that were whites only universities and then um they did the same thing with private christian schools for uh you know lower education elementary high school that type stuff mm-hmm. and uh, before that there were private christian uh You know, schools, but they were more in the Northeast and they were generally Catholic, Protestant, you know, evangelical churches didn't have that. And that's one of the reasons they started them was, you know, because they were a bunch of racist assholes (gasps) Shocking, I know. But yeah. So when you, you know, Liberty University, which is now a very, very large university, Mm -hmm. that's how it started. Mm hmm. Now, Liberties was is kind of more hidden than like Bob Jones University is, but Oral Roberts here in Tulsa, it's another one that was started like that.
1: Yeah, I remember we uh, we went and visited Oral Roberts because my grandmother was a, a huge fan. Uh, so we, when she came to visit, we rode on up there and took her for a tour. And of course, we saw the giant praying hands. And yeah, she bought a um a postcard, I think it was a little bit bigger, postcard size, full color photo of the praying hands. And I promise you, it was still hanging in her bathroom the last time I went to visit her in 2021. Wow! And she came to visit and go there, I want to say sometime in the early, early 80s, I believe when we did that, early to mid 80s, somewhere like that. She still had that picture hanging up. She was- wow.
0: That is a odd thing to be a fan of. What can I say? (laughs) But she's a fan
1: of all Roberts. I'm telling you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a lot of those. It just sort of made me think. Oh, hey, those are the Mm
1: anti-HBCUs. It's true. It's true. It's true. So, from the late 1800s to the late 1900s. HBCUs thrived and provided a refuge from laws and public policies that prohibited Black Americans from attending most colleges and universities. And these schools provided undergraduate training for 75% of all Black Americans holding a doctorate degree, 75% of all Black officers in the armed forces, and 80% of all Black federal judges. Before higher education was desegregated in the 50s and 60s, almost all black college students enrolled at
0: HBCU. I mean, you didn't really have a choice.
1: Mm-mm. Not at all. And it's an interesting thought while I was researching. I found this tidbit that some critics noted that many HBCUs, particularly those existing in the years immediately following the Civil War, were founded by whites. Many of whom had negative pre- preconceptions of the social, cultural, and intellectual capabilities of Black folks. As Black students were generally barred, especially, particularly in the South, from established institutions, critics questioned whether separate schools, in fact, hindered efforts towards social and economic equality with white. Hmm. Hmm.
0: I feel like that's still a thing.
1: It is. I'm, I'm, for better and for worse, it is. So the term historically black colleges and universities, that was the actual term was established in 1865 by the Higher Education Act, which expanded federal funding for colleges and universities, created scholarships, gave low interest loans for students <laughs> and established. They're still
0: paying those. on. <laughs> They say,
1: <laughs> "Establish a national teachers corps." So, here's where I'm going to test my uh my my orating skills, as though I haven't been talking enough in the past almost two years with our with our little project. But currently, there are 107 HBCUs. Only three have closed. Hmm. So, I'm going to tell you what they are. Get ready. Okay. By state. All right. Alabama. Has Alabama A&M University, Huntsville, Alabama State University, Montgomery, Bishop State Community College, Mobile, Concordia University, Alabama, Selma, which is one of the closed ones in 2018. Gaston State College in Gaston, JF Drake State Technical College, Huntsville. Lawson State Community College, Birmingham, Miles College in Fairfield, also Miles School of Law, Oakwood University in Huntsville, Selma University in Selma, Shelton State Community College, Tuscaloosa, Stillman College, also in Tuscaloosa, Talladega College in Talladega, Tuskegee University in Tuskegee, H Council, Trenholm State Community College in Montgomery. Arkansas has four. University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, which I mentioned earlier, Arkansas Baptist College and Philander Smith College, Shorter College, all in Little Rock. Delaware has one. Delaware State University in Dover. It's a nice campus up there. I've been in D.C., you know, of course, we have Howard University and the University of the District of Columbia. Yes, it exists. Florida has four. Bethune-Cookman University, Daytona Beach Edward Water Edward Waters University in Jacksonville, Florida A and M or FAMU in Tallahassee, Florida Memorial University in Miami Gardens, Georgia has Albany State University Albany Carver College in Atlanta Clark Atlanta, in Atlanta, also in Atlanta the Interdenominational Theological Center, the Johnson C Smith Theological Seminary Morehouse and Spelman and Morehouse includes the School of Medicine, Morris Brown College, Payne College, all all these all the previous I just mentioned are in Atlanta. In addition to those, there's also Fort Valley State University, or Valley, and Savannah State University in Savannah. Kentucky has two. Kentucky State University in Frankfort, Simmons College of Kentucky in Louisville. Louisiana has six. Dillard University in New Orleans, Southern University, also in New Orleans, Grambling State University in Grambling, Southern University in A&M College, Baton Rouge, Southern University, Shreveport, Shreveport. and Xavier University in New Orleans. I knew a guy that went to Xavier. He's very proud of that. They have a very, uh, and there is, there is actually an Xavier College, I believe, in Ohio, or you know, Xavier University in Ohio. Yes. So to, to tell the difference, they call this one, X-U L A. Yeah. That's how they tell the difference between the two. So uh let's see. Maryland has Bowie State University, Coppin State University in Baltimore, University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, as I mentioned previously, in Princess Anne, and Morgan State University in Baltimore. Michigan has one, but alas it closed in 2013. It was called the Lewis College of Business in Detroit. Let's say a prayer. Mississippi has seven. Alcorn State University in Lorman, Cahoma Community College, Clarksdale, Hines County Community College, Utica, Jackson State University in Jackson. One of my uncles did go there for about a year or so. Uh, Mississippi Valley State University in Ida Betna. Did I say that right? Sorry. Rust College in Holly Springs and Tougaloo College in Tougaloo. And my other uncle, graduated from there so yes um may he rest in peace I feel like
0: hmm. Tougaloo you just said that and it just reminded me of breaking two electric Tougaloo don't do
1: it (laughs) don't do it
0: I couldn't help it
1: (laughs) Missouri has two Harris Stowe State University in St. Louis Mm -hmm. and Lincoln University in Jefferson City North Carolina quite a few Barba Scotia College in Concord Bennett College Greensboro Elizabeth City State University, Elizabeth City. I've known quite a few people that have gone to Elizabeth City State University. Um, Fayetteville State University in Fayetteville, Hood Theological Seminary in Salisbury, Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, Livingston College, Salisbury, North Carolina Central University, Durham, North Carolina and t State University, Greensboro, Shaw University in Raleigh, St. Augustine's also in Raleigh and Winston-Salem State University, Winston-Salem. In Ohio, as we've previously mentioned, we have Wilberforce University and its, I guess, first cousin, Central State. Also in Wilberforce is Payne Theological Seminary. Can you imagine having all that in one? That town is nothing but college. Apparently. (laughs) As we mentioned earlier, Oklahoma has one, Langston University, uh, Pennsylvania has two: Cheney University, as we mentioned, which was the very first HBCU, and the Lincoln University. Southern California two, excuse me, Southern Carolina, South Carolina. Good lord! Uh, Allen University in Columbia, Benedict College also in Columbia, Kathleen University in Orangeburg, Clinton College, Rock Hill, Denmark Technical College in Denmark, Morris College in Sumter. South Carolina State University in Orangeburg, Voorhees University, Denmark, Tennessee has seven, American Baptist University, Fisk University, Tennessee State University, all in Nashville, Knoxville College, Lane College in Jackson, LeMoyne-Owen College, Memphis, and Meharry Medical College. I heard that's a very, very good uh, medical school, Meharry. Um, mm. Texas has let's see it's like 10 hudson hudson to i may be saying it wrong sorry if anybody went there university in austin jarvis christian college in hawkins paul quinn college in dallas prairie view a&m university in prairie view southwestern christian college in terrell st phillips college san antonio texas college tyler Texas Southern University, Houston, Wadi College, Marshall. TSU is pretty well known. U.S. Virgin Islands, which is a territory, has the University of the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas and St. Croix. Yay! Right here in Virginia, we have got five that are still open. Hampton University, which is where I live at here in Hampton. Norfolk State University, which is over there on the south. Uh, Virginia State University in Petersburg, Virginia Union University in Richmond, which is up near where my child lives, and Virginia University of Lynchburg. Finally, in West Virginia, we have Bluefield State College, West Virginia State University Institute. And there you uh-huh. go.
0: Yeah, that, that was the football game I watched the other day was Virginia Union versus Morehouse.
1: There you go. Yep. There you go. And I want to say that while many of these schools have had football programs, (sighs) I don't want to give them all the credit, but a good deal of credit does go to Deion Sanders for taking the head coaching job at Jackson State like he did because I think that brought a lot of attention to HBCU football programs. Yeah. And, uh, like, I I remember reading – when he decided to leave Jackson State and go to Colorado, a lot of people were, you know, everybody has opinions, just like buttholes. But, um, you know, every you know everybody wants to be a, a an armchair pundit and talk about, you know, the reason why HBCUs don't have good sports programs is because they can't recruit good athletes. Do you know why they can't recruit good athletes? Because they don't have exposure. Right. You don't see. HBCUs on ESPN's college football schedule like that. You might start to now in the last few years, just like you said, you saw one. Those usually didn't, those usually weren't broadcast nationwide. Yeah. Until, you know, recent years. So these schools have always been in existence. They've always had, you know, a significant uh, cultural importance within the Black community. I myself you know, entertain dreams of going to Spelman until I found how much it costs. But... (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah, my dad's in the Air Force. We can't afford that. (laughs) Even if I could score a, you know, a scholarship. Because I knew there was a young lady I worked with back in mm, 90... Let's see. 1994? 94. I think it was 94. Um, she was getting ready to graduate high school, and she was going to Hampton. And very bright girl, she had scored big money in scholarships and grants, and still owed a significant amount of tuition because Hampton is private. Right. So I often wonder what happened to her. Honestly, but when I she's heard still
0: paying it, off those student loans.
1: She she might be, and I'm pretty sure she. In in exchange for that, I'm pretty sure she got a significant
0: experience
1: being an HBCU mm-hmm. because that's nothing but steeped in black culture. Hello. right? So sometimes I'm envious that I didn't go to win. And then sometimes I'm like, you know what, I got a perfectly good education at my PWI. And for all y'all who don't know what that stands for, predominantly white institute, that's a thing. I'm sorry it exists. OK, so. There you go. HBCUs. Now, you ask yourself, what's the point? I just told you what the point of HBCUs were. Do you want to know some people that all of us may know that graduated from HBCUs? Try your vice president, Howard University in D.C. How about that? Okay. let's see. We've also got the Reverend Jesse Jackson, North Carolina A&T State University. Go figure. Spike Lee, movie director, Morehouse College. Also a graduate of Morehouse College, the doctor, Martin Luther King junior mm-hmm. Okay, see. We've got um, author, civil rights activist, Toni Morrison, also from Howard University. We've got Althea Gibson, the first African-American uh, tennis player to win Wimbledon, French, and U.S. Open titles. She graduated from Florida A&M University. Shannon Sharp, former NFL player, came out of Savannah State University. Yep. They're a good, good marshal. You may know that guy. I think he had something to do with the Supreme Court. He also graduated from Howard University, as did Felicia Rashad, who means millions of us know as Mrs. Claire Huxtable. Yeah, Also graduated from HBCU as author Langston Hughes. He went to Lincoln University. Let's see. We've got one of the Waynin's brothers, Marlon. He graduated from Howard University. Go figure. One of my favorite singers, and we discussed her on a previous episode when we talked about our favorite lady singers, Miss Erica Badu, graduated from Grandview State University. Comedian Ricky Smiley, Alabama State University. My goodness. The hardest working man in Hollywood, Samuel L. Jackson. Can you take a guess where you graduated?
0: Mm, I can't. Morehouse College. I was thinking Morehouse or Howard.
1: One of your favorites, Lionel Richie, Tuskegee University.
0: Yep. That man does not get enough credit for his musical talent.
1: I don't think he gets enough credit right now in this moment, and that's a shame. It really is. Tony Braxton. We you know her. She's yes. a singer. We know her. Yes.
0: <laughs> she yes. graduated.
1: She graduated from Bowie State University. <laughs>
0: I'm a I'm a big fan of Tony Braxton.
1: Are you? <laughs> I am. Keisha Knight Pullman, who again millions of us know as Rudy? Little Rudy Huxtable, she graduated from Spelman College. Ms. Gladys Knight, she's a singer. If you've ever heard of her, she graduated from Shaw University. And that's just a small taste of graduates from HBCUs. I'm sure listening friends, even with the delightfully cozy listening audience that we have, you may know somebody that went to an HBCU or yep. somebody that some, some noble figure or celebrity that, you know, may have went to an HBCU. And, and, and to be clear, Even though they were initially established, obviously, for Black Americans to be able to go to school, nowadays, roughly one in four students, 25 percent, enrolled in HBCU is not Black. Yep. Which is an interesting thing, because even when they first opened, even though there there weren't people that took advantage of it, they were open to everybody. Right. Still are. Go figure. What do I know? That's why I don't do education. So <laughs> anyway, but there it is. a small and tidy summary of historically black colleges and universities. I'm going to um send the link to you, Jack, so our listening friends can click on that and look at that list of 107 okay. HBCUs as well as some more in-depth history about HBCUs, et cetera, etc. Cetera. But for now, I think then I am done.
0: Okay, (laughs) that was very informative. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were—I did not realize there were over a a, a hundred Mm -hmm. HB uh, CUs. I always want to forget the C part in that. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know why, (laughs) but no, that's that's quite interesting, and it. It seemed like I don't know if it was just the way you were reading, but it seems like most of them are the east of the Mississippi.
1: Seems to be. Let's see, Alabama by far looks like they have the most. Yeah. Alabama and then Georgia, North Carolina. Yeah, I wanna just from the sheer number in those particular states because we know we we already know what those states were part of. Right. I think it was. It may have been.
0: To counter. <laughs> not counter, but because of the Civil War and it was to, I don't, I don't know how to phrase it properly, but.
1: I i think it was um, lawfully enforced petty. Of course, the primary right. goal was to educate black Americans, you know, previously enslaved black Americans. Yes. Right. Also, it was the government's way of saying, look, we're not going to have any more of your nonsense from these southern states we're going to put all this here. Right. Stop playing. I, I, that's just me. That's that may be why, you know,
0: people yeah, talk. Not, about me I think like that. <laughs> not, that That's probably a very valid, valid reason.
1: Mm-hmm. Sort of like we took you back in. We forgave you all your sins. Part of you showing your contrition and us allowing you back in the union is you're going to allow us to place all these places to educate these formerly enslaved Black folks, and you're going to like it.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: That, that's I, just my interpretation of it. Don't yeah. go by me. You can, call, you can call this drunk history if you want to, even though I don't have anything <laughs> here but water.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's – yeah, that could have been a screw you, we're going to do this. But also, at the same time, you almost have to feel like it created a, a spot where you could at least feel comfortable in your own skin.
1: Well, yeah definitely and they and, and to this day they still are those
0: yeah well, those I mean, places yeah,
1: yep, definitely still are those places, so, and like I said i I know quite a few people that have that have gone and, and graduated from them, they wouldn't try to experience for anything in the world, and then for some un, I won't say unfortunately, but they felt like because they were so cocooned and mostly other black people, that when they graduated and got out into the world, they had a little trouble readjusting. Right. To not having black folks around them all the time.
0: So, Well, yeah. Am but, I, but, uh, I was going to say, my friend Ali went to Langston. Oh, uh, did he? Okay. Yeah, on a football scholarship. Oh, okay. I once watched that man bench press 500 pounds.
1: Did he play football?
0: Football. What yeah. position? I think he was a
1: linebacker. What year? Do you remember what years he went?
0: I'm going to say it was around 05. Mm, okay. Mm, yeah,
1: but, that's years later after. I, yeah, I knew somebody yeah. that went there, too. So I knew several people that went there, actually.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, we, and this, it was a tongue-in-cheek joke. Don't, listening friends, don't take this like I'm trying to talk bad about HBCs because I would never. But the running joke back in the day with Langston was um, good for weed and goat's milk because they had a goat research institute down there
0: like goat's milk what the hell (laughs) that was the joke that was the joke that makes sense i feel bad for saying it even
1: but it was like i said i knew quite a few people that went there and of course you know being who we were in school you know we took regular trips down there and when i tell you that school is Off the beaten path is off the beaten path. Yeah. I'm sure it's expanded in years since, but it used to be that you would enter the school on this road, drive the main road, which is wind its way like in a U shape all the way around and through campus and come back up.
0: That's it. That is it. This is, this is Oklahoma. So that does not, we don't like to fund education as it is. (laughs) If you're HBCU, you probably were at the bottom of that. That funding pile, especially since it starts with uh, football at the University of Oklahoma.
1: I've always found it interesting, though, that Oklahoma only has the one, only ever had the one. But mm-hmm. yet during the 20s, 20s and the 30s, that state was home to the vast majority of black founded towns.
0: Yeah. All black towns. Yeah. Yep. yep.
1: yep. But they only had the one school. I've always found that an interesting historical fact. So before we tra la 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 off into the the great otherness, I would like to throw something out there. Just the FYI. Okay. Um, listening friends, if you've been with us from jump, you know that um, when Jack had his solo podcast, he had uh, Dr. Bob Blackburn one of the foremost authorities on the Tulsa race massacre, on to discuss that particular uh, event. And later on this month on September the 29th, own the Oprah Winfrey network is uh, premiering a six part docu series called rebuilding black wall street hosted by one of my fantasy ex-husbands, Morris chestnut. <laughs> hmm. So they are actually uh, covering and talking to uh, descendants of the residents of Greenwood who are uh, working on rebuilding uh, certain parts of the main Wall Street section, right. um, new businesses, projects and things like that. So each episode focuses on one particular aspect of the rebuilding project. So I want to put that out there. So everybody, if you have access to own, please go watch it. Not just because it's hosted by Boris Chestnut, but that is also a good thing.
0: So, yeah, I believe the, I believe a museum, uh, cause that's called the Greenwood District in Tulsa. Yes. I believe yes. a museum just opened up about mm-hmm. the whole, I, I can't remember if it had just opened up or it was in the process of, you know, opening up. I know, I but think if you go to opened. Tulsa, I think it is open. So I believe you should go and check it out if you're in Tulsa. I find Why that, you want to go to Tulsa is beyond me, but I mean that would be worthwhile to go.
1: <laughs> and it's interesting that they're opening the museum because you know how they had this series out twenty nineteen, the Watchmen series on HBO, yep. and that focused it have have focused heavily on uh, or takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but mm-hmm. its very first episode is centered around the race massacre, and it jumps forward to present day. And they also in the show have a museum that um allows you to be able to submit your dna like through a cheek swab into their system they analyze it and find out whether or not you are a descendant of one of the victims of the massacre oh, and that's then cool. and then if you are you get reparations oh. they were, they were giving out reparations to descendants of the of the race massacre victims and they called it in the show robert redford was president uh, <laughs> and so the reparations program was unauthorized under his administration and they called it red for reparations Redford, Redford reparations or something like that <laughs> you have to watch the show it's it that part is very interesting so yeah but i find that interesting i'm like i wonder if they could ever ever have the technology to allow you to be able to do a dna like in an instant like within the days
0: right yeah
1: it was and then you could they would sh- you know, you would take your, in the show, like the main character found out that she was related to somebody, so she goes in the museum, and her little sample, which is contained in a little fake acorn, which is really cute, you drop it into a uh, like a certain um, display, and it will show you a virtual tree, your family tree.
0: Oh, that's, that'd be Y'all, cool if that really existed.
1: <laughs> it really, you all watch the show, though. It is so good, but... Yeah, that brings to mind that when I heard about they were opening a museum, I'm like, wow. If only. So,
0: yeah. Unfortunately, it took that show for I don't know, 90% of America to even know about the Tulsa Race Massacre. True. But true. Yeah.
1: Between that and um the other show that HBO did Lovecraft Country. They yeah. also Yeah, they also did an episode surrounding that. So, yeah. That was that was eye opening for millions of people.
0: Yeah. So yep.
1: but um I guess our time is drawn nigh.
0: Yeah, yeah. And with that, if you would like to give us millions, you can go to buy buymeacoffee.com backslash hyperfocus pods. And uh we we will gladly accept it. Um yeah, you know, any anything helps. But yeah, there you go. And with that. Unless you have anything to add, I'm going to say bye. Also, same. All right. We'll, we'll catch you on the next one, guys. Have a good one. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate
1: your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment.
0: Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.